Oh. Good to see everybody here. Um, hopefully you've had a good week. I feel like the weather's cooling down, and so that's, that's kind of nice. Um, if you're joining us here for the first time, thanks for visiting. Uh, welcome to Sojourner Church. Um, if you were here last week, you probably wonder, some of you might wonder, wow, is Pastor Francis angry? Um, is, he, uh, is he upset? You know, why is he so loud? It, look, let me, let me explain something before we get into this message here, okay? Uh, it, it's not so much anger, all right? Uh, maybe a little frustration, but certainly there's urgency, all right? I, and I think as a church, especially if you've been going to church for a while, there, you, you need a little urgency. We need some urgency in, in our life because too much, we hear all this stuff about God and the Bible and Jesus and all these things, and you're busy flipping through your phone, you know, looking at what's to do next, and it's like, we don't, we'll get to it, we'll get to it, you know? The Christian stuff, the Christian life, we'll get to it, but, you know, I'm going to do this first, and I'm going to do that first, and, and you never get to it. And, and, and so, you know, I... I if you know me, you know that when I get convicted or if I feel a little urgency, I, I tend to get a little bit loud. So if you're here for the first time, I hope I don't scare you away. I, I kind of, you know, maybe took it too far last Sunday. Because some of you are asking, well, who did it? Right? Who, who ticked Pastor Francis off? Right? Why is he, why is he, well, who's he talking about? And, and let me just explain. I, first of all, uh, you're giving too much credit to any single individual. If you think I'm going to prepare a sermon based on that person, right? That's, that's, not what, that's not what it is, even if it's just you. You know, and, and if you want to know who I'm talking about, some of you are sitting there and you're listening to sermons, and say, man, I hope that person's here listening because that person needs to hear this, right? Or, you know, I wish this person was here today. He's not, but, you know, that person needs to hear this. And, you know, really, I'm, I'm talking to you. I'm talking to you and you and you and you, right? I'm talking to all of us. And, um, you know, if you really want to know if I'm singling out anybody, if I'm uh, pointing out anyone here, look, this is what introverts like me do. We, we, we sit at home and we, we, we do a lot of self-reflection. And so everything that I preach and everything that I, I teach, I, it's a voice in my head that, that's preaching to me. It's, it's to myself first. If I'm singling anybody out, it, it's me. And, and I get convicted because I think God's telling me that there's still so much work in my life that needs to be done. In my life. And I'm the pastor. And I think many of us, if you've been around church long enough, if you've been around Christianity long enough, you know how you should be. You know how you should do, what you should do. You, you know how you should think, how you should feel. And most of us, I think, if we've been around the church, I think we have some idea of, of how we should live. And so what I'm saying last week and what I'm going to say today, there is, there's nothing here that's a real revelation. But if we're honest with ourselves, if I'm honest with myself, many of us, Maybe not all of us, but, but many of us, we don't. 
We, we go through our motions. We, we go into this habit. We, we come to church. We, we say the right things. Uh, on Sundays, we put our best Christian foot forward. And we do something completely different Monday through Saturday. And there's no one who falls into that trap, into that path. There's no one worse than pastors. Our job becomes our persona. And if anyone's not showing their real sin and their real struggle, it's people like me. And so this message is for me just as much as for you, okay? All right, let's get to this now. Three Ps. This passage, three Ps. Just to kind of follow along, you know, I try to give you the points, but today I'll give you more clear points. Three Ps. There's a presupposition, there's a plan, and there's a problem. Okay? There's a presupposition in this passage that was read just wonderfully by our brother Steve in his nice sandals. There's a plan that God has, and, and then there's a problem, okay? Three Ps, presupposition, plan, and problem. So let's look at this. Last week we talked about light. For a long time we talked about light. It's in verse 14 of our passage. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And if there's light, it presupposes that there's darkness. That there's darkness in the world. That there's darkness in our hearts. Selfishness, sin, whatever you want to call it. That there's evil and injustice and brokenness all around us. And so when you look at 13, and this is where we want to think about what it means to be salt. He says, you're the salt. So what does salt presuppose? It doesn't presuppose sweetness, okay. Oh, there's sweetness around the world. Well, there, there is a little sweetness around the world, but that's not what he's talking about. What does Jesus mean when he says, you are the salt of the earth? And, and there's so many sermons and pastors who take that and they just run with it. You know, for example, salt, uh, you, know, you put it on wounds and, and salt stings. And so Christians are salt in the way that we, we see sin and we let people know and it stings, right? Uh, salt, if you drink or eat something too salty, you get thirsty. And so Christians are salt of the world because it creates a thirst in people to thirst after God and what we have. And some people, well, that's what, this is what salt means. Salt means it's, it's flavoring. And so we're called to be the flavor of the world and, and make things nicer and better. I even heard one person say salt is white and, and that's pure. And so Christians are the purity of the world. All right, it's just, all right, sometimes we take it too far, okay? Here's what I think it means, and I think most scholars would agree. In Jesus' time, there are no refrigerators. Okay? There's no refrigerators. And so in the first century, when they had meat, how do they keep it fresh? They rub in salt. Salt functioned as a preservative. A preservative. So where you need light, you have darkness. But... Where you need salt, you have decay. Decay. You let meat go out in the, without being refrigerated, what happens? It rots. 
So they put salt in it to keep it from decay. So the presupposition here in this text is that there is decay and darkness in the world. Okay? We're subject to get decay. That's what Jesus seems to be saying. Things are falling apart. I don't think you could disagree with me on this. Because even physicists, you don't have to be a Christian to agree with me on this. Physicists agree with this. It's what we call the second law of thermodynamics, that the whole universe is running down. Or that the earth is drying up and blowing away. That things left to themselves just fall apart. You experience this every day in your life as you get older. Your body is falling apart. Right? It just happens. That's the nature of things. Things are going to pieces. Everything falls apart. We're falling apart and we eventually pass away. It's just science. Molecules are separating from each other all the time. Flowers are withering. Rocks are decaying. Everything falls apart. And you bring that and you think about other things. Not just materially, but what about relationally and socially? You ever notice your relationships when things are well? It just never seems to stay good. It tends to just go bad. There's going to be a rocky start. There's going to be a, a conflict down the line. And it's so much work to just get it back to where it was, even in our relationships. Marriage, it's so hard. Did you ever notice? It's so hard to just keep it intact sometimes. To maintain that because there's misunderstanding, there's anger, there's hurt, there's frustration. You look at society, things seem to be falling apart sometimes. Crime after crime, there's racism, there's injustice, there's wars around the world, there's social disintegration. Psychologically, sometimes nobody seems happy, naturally happy. And it takes so much effort to be really happy in the world uh, because we're struggling with depression and anxiety and isolation. And just all around us... Decay. And if the world, if matter, if everything goes to pieces, you don't have to be religious. We can, we can see this all around. The decay all around us. But rarely do we ever face up to it. Right? Fill in the blank. The greatest threat in my life has been Dot, 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 what would you say? We've been through a lot. Some of you have been through a lot in the past year, two years. I, I have myself personally. And for some of us, the greatest threat in your life was disease. COVID. Cancer. But somehow, by God's grace, we, we've made it through. Somehow there's vaccination. Somehow there's been cure or health or disease. And somehow we made it through. And after we've made that through, that greatest threat now is, is kind of over with. And, and now we say, well, well, now I can look forward to just living my life. And we're saying, that's, that's great. But you're forgetting one thing. If that's your greatest threat, you're forgetting one thing. We still have the principle of decay. Nothing has increased or decreased the death rate. It's one per person. One per person. That, that doesn't change. That doesn't ever change. It's all going out. And if the world is all there is, then how can war or peace or, or you know, justice or anything make a difference in the end? If that's all we have and things are falling apart, then everything's meaningless. 
Now, I know some of you are thinking, okay, you know, uh, that's such a pessimistic view of things. Come on, let's be more optimistic, right? It's not that bad. And some of you are very pessimistic and cynical and saying, oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. This, this world's going to hell and, and uh, you know, there's nothing we can do. I want to show you that Christianity is neither just purely optimism, but normally is it just pessimism. But it's realistic about disintegration, but it provides hope. Okay? The world needs salt and light. And so what's the plan of God? That's the presupposition. You can agree with that or not, but now here's the plan. What is God's plan then to deal with the darkness, to deal with the decay around the world and in our lives and in your families and in the church? What's his plan? And this is God's plan. In verse 13 and verse 14, Jesus says, you, you are salt. You are light. You're the plant. The pronoun here is emphatic. It's like he's saying this. You only are the light. You only uh, are the salt. In fact, if you don't do it, if we don't do something about it, nobody will. That's his emphasis. His plan, at least in large part, is us. It, it's the church. It's you. It doesn't belong to famous evangelists. It doesn't belong to just those pastors and missionaries. It belongs to, to people like us. It, it's not just those people you see on TV or the people who write the books. It's all of us. You are salt and light of the world. And I think Jesus is giving this message to teach us how we as a church and as an individual ought to see the world and relate in it. And so when he says be salt, he's saying this. You are the preservative in a decaying world. You do, out of the love and the mercy and the graciousness of your heart, you do what you can to address brokenness, sin, and people falling apart in the world. Now let me bring this down a little bit because some of you like, the word world is too big. You're going to you know, change the world. That, that, that's just too big. Let's shrink it down. That person in your life who you see falling apart because of stress or work, because of a hard relationship, you're their salt. That marriage that is struggling and he feels like it's going to fall apart any minute, you are the one to keep that from decay. In your church where, th where things just seem chaotic, in your neighborhood where there's wrong and, 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 and just sin and evil, you are the one to respond to that. At work, in the state, in the country, and on and on and on. So how does salt do that? How does salt do this? There's so many ways, but let me just boil it down to this. Salt doesn't draw attention to itself. Right? Salt works best when you don't even recognize it's there. Salt works quietly. Salt is very common. It's very ordinary. You don't have to be extraordinarily gifted 
to respond to the things around you. Salt, it, it just works by just being salt. And so when Jesus says, you are the salt and light, this is what he's saying, that, that as Christians, you, you expose decay and darkness around you. And, and the way you respond to that is that you reveal something beautiful, something hopeful, something, something better that shows the, the gospel that's working in your life. You, you reveal around you sins of gossip or dishonesty or, or even racism in your neighborhood, corruption in your political ward, sin. Uh, you, you, you seek reconciliation. You, you pursue goodness. You pursue healing, alleviate pain and suffering. You're the salt. And when we respond to these things, a beauty and attractiveness show up. The way you treat people. The way you respond to pressure, the way you respond to criticism, there's something distinct. There's something different in the world. Just by you saying, I'm going to live according to Jesus. That's it. Just by being salt. He's not asking you to, to save the world, okay? He's not asking you to, to, you know, build an empire or do something crazy. He's just saying, just, just say, I'm going to live according to Jesus and just be that. Be salt. Salt is salty because that's what it does. And Jesus says, you're the salt. So let me ask you a question today. Are you that kind of salt? Are you that kind of person that, that responds to corruption and wants to retard it for the sake of your neighbor? Are you the kind of light that, that attracts and reflects your faith in a way that, that kind of displays and reflects the beauty and the goodness of, of the God that you say you love and worship? Do you live in a way according to our passage that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Just by being salt. Okay? There's a presupposition, there's a plan. Now here's the problem. Because there's a problem Jesus points out. And at some point, <clears throat> some of you might be thinking right now, you're thinking, oh, you know, that's why PF wanted to start the Mercy Committee. Right? That's why he wanted to do the mercy committee. Because he wants us to do more good in the church and also outside the church. That's why we're having a mercy committee. Well, then it's easy then. I'll join the mercy committee. I'll, or me, I'll participate in whatever the mercy ministry wants us to do. And if I do that, then I'll be the salt. The salt that PF keeps talking about. The salt that Jesus keeps talking about. That's not what I'm saying. We confuse doing with being. Jesus, I think, here is talking about something deeper, okay? It's not first about doing. It's first about being. The gospel never tells you to do anything without first telling you who you are. Jesus never says to them, okay, you want to be this? You got to do this, 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 and this, this, and then you'll be salt. No. What does he start in our passage? You're salt. Now do this and this and this. Do you see this? 
It's about being, not doing. And in verse 13 then, there's a warning. There's a problem that I think Jesus points out. He says, you're the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, then how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. What does that mean? How can salt lose its saltiness? One rabbi, Jewish rabbi, famous rabbi, was asked that question. What does Jesus mean here? How can salt lose its saltiness? And this is what he said. He says, if you want to make salt salty again, what you got to do is you take a mule, and after it gives birth, you take all that stuff that comes out of the mule, and you rub it into the salt, and it's going to be salty again. But the thing is, mules don't give birth. They're sterile. There's no afterbirth to rub into the salt. And so the rabbi is deliberately being facetious. He's saying it's a stupid answer. And he's saying that those who ask a stupid question receive a stupid answer. How can, you know, we get salt to be salty? It's impossible. Why? Because real salt doesn't lose its saltiness. If it did, it's not salt anymore. And that's why we're starting a mercy community. We want to organize doing mercy, not to make us more merciful, but the church is, by God's grace, merciful. And we do mercy. It's not what we do. It's who we are. And because of who we are, that's what we do. It's not about doing. It's about being. Salt does what it does because that's what it is. Who we are, our identity in the gospel always precedes our action or doing. Now let me challenge you on this. Because if you say your identity is a Christian, if you say you're a Christian because you've been forgiven by the gracious God, but you never forgive, what are you? If you say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I've received mercy from a merciful God, but you're never merciful, what are you? If you say, I'm, you know, I've been saved by grace and God is gracious to me and I've been saved by grace, but you are never gracious, then what are you really? And so I think the problem that Jesus wants to bring out, not only to his culture and context, but to ours is this. Many of us in the church have lost our saltiness. We've completely lost our saltiness. And I think this is just just my opinion here, but I think what's happened is this. We've gotten great at belief. I believe this. I believe this. I confess this. But we've not been transformed by what we believe. We've got knowledge and understanding and truth. But we've got no transformation. We've got belief down. But there's no change in your life. We become masters of some Christian information. But we're not masters of living a Christian life. We confess the things we believe, even Sundays, every Sunday as we confess the confession and the Apostles' Creed. 
But oftentimes, look, be honest, you and I, we fail to operate on those things on a daily basis. Here's how I know. We don't do any better when it comes to things like marriage, consumerism, lust, pornography, sex, than anybody else in the world. But instead we go this. I believe the Bible said divorce in most cases is wrong, but I want a divorce. I believe the Bible says you shouldn't lust. And your web browser, your history has got porn sites up the wazoo. I believe marriage is a holy matrimony, that's what the Bible teaches, and premarital sex is a free game. What's the difference between you and everybody else? I believe God says we should love and we should love our enemies, but I hate you. We've got belief, but we're not being transformed. And so we've lost our saltiness, what makes us distinct. And Jesus says in our passage, when you got salt like that, it's worthless. And you throw it out, and it's trampled by men. Because think about it, okay? If you're not a Christian today, I'm not talking to you. I love you, and I'm thanking you for you're here, okay? This is for most of us who've been in church. In the end, this is what it says. Maybe you've mastered some truth about Christianity, but if you haven't mastered that in your life, who cares? Right? In the end, if you can, you know, systematically and logically and theologically explain what the gospel is for you and all the mysteries of God, but you're completely unmoved by them, who cares? Those of us with kids, or soon to have kids, many times I, I hear parents like, you know, when they get certain age, oh, I, I want my kid to be a Christian, I want my kid to be a Christian, you know, please, please be a Christian, you know, I want him to be a good Christian, I want her to be a good Christian. And that's not in your control, ultimately. But kids oftentimes do what parents do. And you want your kid to be a good Christian, but you're at home, and they're looking at you, and they're seeing you do and say and speak and think things. If you act like you give a, a, you know, two cents for your faith, maybe the kids say, oh, man, you know, I want my kid to be Christian. But your kid says, you know what, I, you know, my parents don't seem to care about living this out. My parents don't seem to care about doing this thing, so why should I care? Your kids need salt and light in your home. And so in the end, I think this text challenges us. And I think it's saying, maybe we have belief, but we've got no transformation. Because what happens now is this. What's happening is we run our mouths. We run our mouths uh, all over the place. But there is no real transformation in our lives to support running our mouths. And so now what's happening in our culture today is that the church has now completely lost its place in the world. 
It, it ends up being disrespected. It ends up being mocked. It ends up being openly shamed. Because even though what we believe might be right and true, there's no change in people's life which people can look at and say, hey, maybe they're on to something here. You, you watch the news, right? You, you read the news. When was the last time you saw something good about the Christian church? When was the last time you read something good about Christian leaders? That's the world we live in. See, my problem is this. I want to be cool. I want to be cool. I want to be liked. Who doesn't want to be? I want to be liked. But do you know how salt becomes a little unsalty? It's when it gets diluted. You take a pure substance, you add something impure, and it's diluted, it's not salty anymore. You know, it's like, you know, you, you, you take some pot, right, and you fill half the bag, but the other half you fill oregano. And you know what I'm talking, some of you know what I'm talking about, right? It's diluted, it, it, you can't do anything with that. You rub down meat with diluted salt. That meat's going to rot because it's not pure salt. It's lost its distinctiveness as salt. If it's diluted, you can't make it salty again. It's lost. It's been compromised. It doesn't act like salt anymore. And that's my struggle here because today in our culture and what they call a postmodern multiculturalism, it doesn't like it when you start making distinctions. It wants to say everything is the same, people are all the same, religions are all the same, everything is equal, we're all alike. And if you start saying, no, no, it's different, there's some distinctions here, you're going to get pushed back. If you say to them, look, it's different. My thinking is different from yours because my, I, I'm controlled by a different authority. My, therefore, my living needs to be different because I'm controlled by a different authority and therefore I have a different worldview. And they're not going to like that. You're gonna, they're going to push you back. And since I want to be liked, I don't want to be a party pooper. i got to try to make peace with the world that I live in. This is what we do. This is what we say. We say, hey, you know what? I know the Bible says this, but uh, this is a stumbling block for a lot of people out there. So let's give Jesus a makeover and, and change a little bit what he thinks. Or change a little bit what the Bible says because it's more palatable to today's time. And after all, everything's cultural anyway. And so it doesn't really matter. We just need to make it fit with our culture. And when we do that, you've lost all distinctiveness. There's no difference. You're diluted. You're a watered-down Christian. And you've got nothing to say, nothing to change, nothing to speak to, nothing to offer to the world out there that the world isn't already offering. It's not just about doing good things. That's not what we're talking about here. The world didn't lose people doing good things. Because there are people all over the world doing things better than us, just not for his glory. But on our side, not only are we losing our distinctiveness and our identity... That which ought to drive our good works for his glory is missing. Tim Keller in uh, the city, you know, everyone knows Tim Keller, but he was in an interview and he was asked the question, uh, Pastor Keller, well, how do you define revival? And he responded, and I'm just paraphrasing, something like revival is when 
you know, people living in the city, around the, the whole city, and different churches are living out their faith in their life at their work and their homes and, 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 you know, in the culture out there, and somehow that it makes a difference. And then they asked him, well, well, Pastor Keller, uh, is that happening? And he said this, I don't know, but the problem in my church is that people are just sleeping around too much. You're salt. We're salt. But if sin enters our life, you can't retard and, and, and prohibit corruption in the world. You're part of the corruption. You can't be the stinging in the wounds of other people's sins because you've got your own. When, when, we, when we live like this, you're not going to create a thirst in anybody for God because there's nothing there to make them thirsty. For what you've got. Why? Because you're just like them in many ways, in every way of behavior. And the point here is this. You are the plan. You are to be salt and light. But if you lose your saltiness, you can't do anything with that. And you're not going to do anything. So what do we do? What do we do? This is for the Marvel fans out there. All right, Danny. Abe. Uh, I, I think I watched Avengers Endgame like, like ten times. Right? And there's this one thing that stuck out to me is when Thor goes back in time and he reunites with his mother. But, you know, at this point, Thor, you know, he's a mess, right? He's overweight. You know, he, he, he's kind of lost himself a little bit. And he wants to talk to his mom. So there's this conversation. I don't know if you remember this. You remember this? There's a conversation that, that Thor has with his mom. And he's kind of sharing how, how sad he is and how lost he feels. And, and this is what uh, his mom says. Quote, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. A measure of a person, of a hero, is how well they succeed at being who they are. Everyone fails at who they're supposed to be. So if we're salt, but we're not living as salt, but we're sort of diluted, what do we do? Let me, let me be honest. What I'm not trying to say is we're Christians and we're the light of the world and so you're better than everybody else and show them the way. No, that's not what I'm trying to say. There is no one here batting a thousand in holiness. Nobody. There's no one here. There's no one pure and holy. That guy doesn't exist. That, it's not me. It's not you. There's no one. And this is why the gospel is so important. Because the reason why Jesus died for me is not just because he loves me and he cares about me. It's because he's serious about holiness. And don't think about holiness as being better than everybody morally. Holiness is simply set apart, distinct for him. God is so serious for that kind of holiness that he would give up his only son to die for me. To make us his. To set me apart for him. How serious you got to be about something that you're going to give up your only son. And in the same breath, not only does he set me apart, but on that cross when Jesus dies for my sin, we have forgiveness, we have grace, and we have mercy. 
I love grace. I hate holiness. But grace doesn't make us complacent in being transformed and living for him. If you're using grace not to be serious about being holy for him, you don't understand grace. And so what makes me salt is that there is a seriousness to live out my life in everyday living, to be serious about God's holiness, while at the same time I am continually, constantly repenting and asking for his grace because of my still there sin. There's a humility there. So what do we need? What's the solution here? I need to live out my life. I need to be what God has called me to be. I need to get undiluted. How do I do that? Okay, two things. Let me, I'll just end with this. Two things. Number one, we need obedience. You know, people talk about in marriage counseling or in relationship counseling, love languages. Oh, this is how your partner likes to be loved. This is how I like to be loved. You know, do this, do that, say this, say that. But what's Jesus' love language? John chapter 14. If you love me, keep my commandments. Obedience. I don't care how loud you sing during Sundays. I don't care how many experiences you've had, you think you've had with God. I don't care how passionate you are in, in, in your church or in your service or wherever you might be. If you're not obeying him, if you're not obedient to him, you don't love him. To obey is better than sacrifice. 1 Samuel 15. Are you growing? And this is what we do. How are you doing with this? Are you growing as a Christian? And so, oh, it's been a struggle today. I need to read my Bible. And so what we do is, we, well, let's, I'm going to read the Bible. I'm going to read the Bible, right? And, or, or, you know, so I'm going to do Bible study. I'm going to do Bible study. Yeah, I'm going to get together and do Bible study. No, no, I'm going to get back to my QTs. I've been slacking up QTs. And then I'm going to listen to more sermons. I'm going to listen to more sermons. And what's happening is this. You're getting more information, more information, more knowledge, more knowledge. But no one is asking you, are you practicing what you know? Are you practicing what you know? And it's comical. You're supposed to be growing. You're supposed to be living. And the thing you're going to do is do more Bible study and more, more learning and more learning. And you got more information. But you're just learning stuff, more information, which you're not going to obey. Overseas, there's closed countries. You've probably heard and read about these places, China, you know, places, North Korea. They meet every Sunday underground. And they got one page of the Bible, just one page. I've got a stack of Bibles never been opened in my house. One page they've got, and they meet, they walk, they get, whatever they could do, they get there, and they serve, and they worship together, and they hear that same page every year for like two years straight, every Sunday. That's all the information they've got. And yet their faith goes well beyond what we see here. Not just info, obedience. We need that. Second thing we need. Genuine and real community. If you want to be salt, 
We need real community, genuine, real community. You know, we're going to reboot and we're starting uh, community groups again in the fall. But you know, let, me be, let me be very clear. This is what many of us think about when we think of a community group. Oh, it's, it's Christian friends. It's my church friends. We get together. We fellowship. We eat and we drink and we play a board game maybe and there's guacamole. <laughs> awesome, right? It's great. But I want to remind you, that's not ultimate. That, those are wonderful things. Don't get me wrong. I love those things too. It's a start. But that's not what you're after. Those things, as wonderful as they are, they don't create empathy. Guacamole doesn't create compassion. I need a community of people where, where I feel like they know me well enough that on days where I'm overwhelmed and I'm confused and I'm frustrated, I need them to just see it because they see it, they sense it, and they come and they grab me and they give me some encouragement at the right time. I need people around me who know me well enough to do this because I'm not the person that's going to say to them, hey, can I get some encouragement, please? I need it bad. I need that kind of community that know me well enough, know about my struggling heart, that they sense me, and because they knew me, they pull me aside and say, hey, let me give you some encouragement. I need genuine community, not only because I need encouragement. Here's the second thing. I also need someone in my life who knows me well enough, genuinely cares for me enough, someone I trust to say to me, what the heck are you doing, Pastor Francis? Do you know what you're doing? What are you doing? I need encouragement. I need some light. I need rebuke. I need salt. I need rebuke. Now, after service Sunday, please don't come up to me and start rebuking me, all right? Yeah, yeah that, that's not exactly what I'm talking about, right? Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be very honest. I'm going to respond to your rebuke this way, uh, and you're going to respond to rebuke this way. Uh, everybody responds to rebuke, and either they do two things, right? Oh, you're right. Oh, I'm so horrible. I give up. I can't do this. I give up, right? Or the opposite, and this is how I would respond. Even though I say I want rebuke and you rebuke, this is what I'm going to say. Oh, I'm glad that you noticed that speck in my eye. Especially since you've got that big log in your fat head. <laughs> I'm glad that you pointed that out. Thanks a lot. So I'm going to make an enemy so that I don't have to deal with myself. You know how you do. Hey, how you doing today? How, how's it been? Oh, great. You know what that means? Stop talking to me. <laughs> hey, how you doing? You ask me, how do Oh, I'm good. You're not good. Just stop talking. I don't want to talk about it. Hey, are you better? Are you feeling better today? Yeah, I am. Leave me alone. That's what it means. We need a community. We need relationships where there are people who know us well enough that can feel where we are even when we're not strong enough to tell the truth and they would love us. To point us to hope in the midst of our own decay. To show us grace in a world that says it doesn't matter. To give us a little holiness to point us to Jesus Christ 
who is the light and salt of the earth and says, you are too. It can't just be me. Oh, Pastor Francis, I'm telling you, talk to this person. That person's messed up. Pastor Francis, you talk to this person. That person's struggling. Hey, uh, just talk to PF. He'll help you, right? Uh, do that. Fine. Do that, right? I'm limited. What I need, what we need is a group of people. Let me get into your life. That's what we need. Accountability. Encouragement. Sometimes rebuke. Obedience. In order to be light and salt, we need people to be our light and salt. Okay? Let's pray.